This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share, and collaborate. And remind people that the building code is not as much to prevent injuries per se, it is to prevent a total collapse or failure of a building. Hi, and welcome to Ian Weekly, and this is your host, Todd DeVoe speaking, and today we are talking to Josh Basham from the Earthquake Early Warning System. And now, if you haven't heard of this tech, it's amazing, it really is. And it has already saved lives in Japan and in Mexico. Basically, what it does is it reads a wave, it's not predicting earthquakes, but it it reads a, a wave that comes prior to the earthquake. It gives you about a 30 second window to be able to shut down railroads, elevators, things like this, where people um, uh, have died or gotten stuck. However, before we get into this interview, I'm inviting you to come to check out ianweekly.com and on the other website, forums.ianweekly.com. And this is a place just for emergency managers and, and responders as well to talk about best practices and give you guys the the place to communicate with each other. Uh, You can communicate directly with us at Ian Weekly and it's really building that community of emergency managers. So I'd love to have you guys over there and I'll see you uh, at the forums. And, uh, but now let's talk to Josh. I'm super excited to have uh, Josh Basham here with us today uh, to talk about the earthquake early warning systems that they develop. And, you know, we've seen them work in Japan and in uh, Mexico City during uh, those last earthquakes we've had where the early warning was able to stop elevators and trains and some stuff like this. And Josh, welcome to Ian Weekly. Yeah, thanks for having me, Todd. It's a pleasure. Tell me a little bit about yourself and and how you got involved in what you're doing today. Yeah, so, you know, I I got into emergency management on the volunteer side. So I became very involved in the CERT curriculum uh, through FEMA and the Citizen Corps here in California, really at a a, a fairly young age. And I got very in-depth with it, you know, took the Train the Trainer program and helped run and teach the, the CERT program for a large metropolitan fire department here in L.A., and, you know, about seven years later, uh, for, you know, after teaching thousands of, of students and CERT teams through the years, I really got involved in the technology aspect of emergency management and finding ways to leverage technology to make a large impact in the future. And ultimately, that's how we got involved in earthquake early warning. That's awesome. CERT has really done a lot of stuff as far as bringing people into the emergency management field. So early warning. So tell me about your early warning program and how that works and some of the challenges that, that came along with developing it. Yeah. So I think an important piece of this to mention is that early warning labs is sort of part of the, the distribution platform and uh, the automated responses in response to the earthquake early warning. So our partners do what we'd like to say a large piece of the hard work of actually monitoring and creating the raw data that goes into the earthquake early warning that we use. So that, that official partner of ours is the U.S. Geological Survey, the USGS. 
along with the collaborative universities that we work with, such as uh, Caltech, Berkeley, University of Washington, and University of Oregon, along with uh, SCEC over at USC. So through that collaboration and our official partnership with the, uh, the Shake Alert uh, ecosystem, we're able to create these earthquake early warnings and do mobile app alerting, do uh, mass notification through voice evacuation on fire alarm systems on the fire panels through high-rise buildings. And we go as far as automating response in elevators to slow and stop the elevators to open the doors, right? The One of the big stats for up in San Francisco for the Haywired scenario that came out a few weeks ago is that 20,000 people are going to get stuck in elevators. And if history kind of gives us an idea of what's going to happen in the future, you know, what follows a large shaking event, unfortunately, is is fire. So being stuck in an elevator, right? I mean, that's a good way to become a smoked piece of meat, right? So especially when the fire departments are just completely overwhelmed, like we saw in, in Northridge, right? So if we can mitigate a huge piece of that aspect, even if it's just elevators, right? We can really have a big impact in the post-response and injury prevention and life-saving. How does the tech work? Good question. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about kind of the two different pieces, right? There's the detection aspect of it, and we can get into that. And then there is the distribution. And a big piece of that distribution is, you know, what do you do with it once you get it delivered to a facility or an individual? Right, right. So on the detection side, with an earthquake, folks that have studied it, and I think your audience is pretty familiar with the PNS waves, right? So the, the P waves... Typically what we'll, you know, we joke about, but it's actually fairly true is, is that's what animals are sensing and actually hearing it, right? So, so these seismic waves are sound waves. Mm-hmm. So if we can detect those P waves at the speed of light and then push those alerts ahead of the S waves at the speed of light, we're actually outrunning the earthquake. We're sending this alert ahead of the S waves, the damaging waves. And really that's what it is. There's roughly 900 sensors-ish on the West Coast that the USGS and the universities have up and running for the shake alert system that are actively detecting P waves for every single earthquake. And when it's over a certain threshold, we get that raw data and we process it for each individual user, whether it's an app user or a college campus or a hospital or a high-rise building. We know roughly how bad the shaking is going to be on the MMI scale, the modified Mercalli intensity scale, right, one through 10. And we roughly know how much time they have, so the countdown. So then we can do automated responses in accordance with that, with thresholds that we set on that one to 10 scale. So our hardware and software, it's a SaaS subscription with a hardware element. We completely automate an entire facility, whether it's a building, campus, hospital, whatever. How long do you really have from when a P wave strikes out? So that is the big question. Absolutely the big question. So we look at the shakeout scenario most emergency managers will be familiar with that in California and really, I think, on the whole West Coast. You know, that could be, you know, if we look at that Salton Sea rupture starting down by the Salton Sea where it unzips on the San Andreas Fault, in downtown LA, the estimates are 57 seconds of warning. Wow. Which is pretty good. You know, yeah. if you look at what we're doing right now, we've, we've done some, some performance testing. You know, we can take an elevator to the closest floor and open the doors and at 12 to 15 seconds, we can slow and stop. Uh, the LA Metro trains in a little under 30 seconds, 24 to 27 seconds, depending on how fast they're going. And just to drop cover and hold on, Todd takes just a couple seconds. So that's top end, right? 60 seconds. Pacific Northwest, they're spoiled. They get, <laughs> they get 
maybe minutes of warning, which is pretty cool. But here, you know, it's depending on what fault rips and how far you are from the fault. Every scenario is different. So it could be literally zero notice. Right. Or it could be 10 seconds, 30 seconds, 57 seconds. It just really depends on where you are and which fault it is is that ruptures. But as of now, we get zero warning for 100% of the earthquakes, right? If we can start getting early warning for 95% of the earthquakes, that is huge. That's a lot for sure. Now, are there chances of a false warning? You know, with technology like this, for early detection and early warning, there's always risks of that. I mean, we've seen that play out, I think most recently with the, the notification in Hawaii, right? The good news with that is that was human error. For the earthquake early warning system, the USGS has done a really fantastic job at looking at the systems in Japan, in Mexico, you know, the after action reports on how they've performed, what the issues were. They've looked at their false alarms, their missed alerts. And the USGS has done a really good and thorough job of identifying how that could happen with the earthquake early warning system here in the US and addressing those issues. So even with all that work and it, in my opinion, being the best earthquake early warning system in the world, there, you know, there's, there's still a chance, right? They've, they've done their best to iron out all those issues ourselves, early warning labs. We've, we've done everything in our power to make sure that it's as, as reliable as possible. So we're, we, we feel confident, right? We feel very comfortable with where the system's at, but absolutely, there are limitations. There are uh, expectations that need to be set, but you know, where we're at now, I mean, it's, it's like I said, we get 0% of the warnings right now. If right. we can be in the 90%, that's huge, right? That's absolutely huge. And Berkeley's done some research behind this and they feel if this is su- successfully implemented, we can prevent almost half of the injury, which is huge. I mean, that wow. is huge. So, I mean, I know that if you take a look at the, uh, the great shakeout and the statistics that are on there, I mean, that's, that is a significant number. I mean, they're, they're talking thousands upon thousands of people potentially injured. Yeah. How would that work? I mean, just walk me through this and, and just the guy who, the technology is sometimes magic for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I'm driving down the road. Do I have an app that, that alerts me that there's an earthquake coming in so I can pull over? Or um, is, this, is this something that where we could push out with the EAS message? Is this something as an emergency manager I could push out automatically through, you know, using mass notification? Yeah, so we're, you know, both the USGS, universities, ourselves, the telcos, we're, we're looking at all the different platforms, right? We uh, iPods, or you know, people are familiar, obviously, with the, the term Amber Alert system. The issue with... The current systems is that they're too slow, right? They're measuring latency in tens of seconds, if not minutes. And that is just, that eats up all the warning time. So early warning labs, we produced a free consumer mobile application, which uses the push notification function, which is fast enough. However, there are challenges once you hit a certain level of push notification messages. So we're working to address that right now. You know, we're hoping to have our mobile application released. You know, ideally, by the end of the year, it may be prolonged depending on the performance testing and whatnot we have to do uh, with ourselves and uh, the USGS and the universities. But that is working really well, right? It's in a private beta. It's been performing uh, very, very well. And it's, you know, it's fantastic. It's the first earthquake early warning application here in America. And... I think that's a big, a big benchmark, and we're we're super proud of that. But again, there's there's challenges with that. So that brings me to sort of the the other side of early warning labs, and that is the commercial integration. Mm. That system's guaranteed. That system has the highest performance possible, right? We're talking 
maybe a second or two between receiving and then doing something with an entire facility from the audible notification to the mechanical automation. That is what we feel is the best way to mitigate the majority of the death and the majority of the injury. Mobile applications, good. However, there's, I mean, just overriding the silent function or the vibrate function or the do not disturb function on an iPhone is is nearly impossible without special privileges from, from Apple. And most people at work have their phone on vibrate or off or you're asleep and you don't want it to be waking you up in the middle of the night. So, you know, like I said, just a lot of challenges with mobile. So that is kind of a best effort product. We want it to be free. We want everyone to have it, but there's just challenges with that. We want to see this in every single school, every single office building, uh, every single apartment building, anywhere that's got a PA system, a radio system, IP phone system. We can do the alerts on all those different platforms. That is the most reliable way to do this. So based on that, I know that this the early warning system worked in Japan during what year was it? When they had the, the larger earthquake, gosh, it must be six years, seven years ago now. Yeah. And it stopped elevators and it got people down to the bottom floor in a timely manner where they weren't injured. And realistically, the earthquake didn't cause a lot of the injuries. It was the tsunami afterwards that, that caused most of the injuries. Exactly. And, and you saw it work in, in Mexico last fall, I guess, when it was, they had two, two earthquakes and back to back. And one was Mexico City on the, the 30th anniversary of the Mexican City earthquake stuff. Um, and it worked then. Stopped elevators as well. I think it might have stopped a train if I'm correct me if I'm wrong on that. And so this is the system that we have here. What are some of the challenges that you've had really getting a system that's known? It's, it's been known in Mexico. It's been known in Japan. What are the challenges that you have of getting this implemented here in the United States? A large portion of this was proving that our platform was reliable and met the requirements and the standards with the USGS and the universities. Uh, which has met and exceed, exceeded that. And we're very proud of that. The other piece was making sure that the system was vetted and tested, the earthquake early warning, the detection side, and that we got rid of those false alarms and those those issues to the, to the best of you know science's ability. And I, I f- feel that that, that's at, that is done. The biggest hurdle now is identifying the bottlenecks in mobile alerting, addressing those, and public education. A lot of people don't even know that the ShakeAlert earthquake early warning system exists. In fact, if you're outside of California in the Pacific Northwest, you've probably never heard of it. A lot of the press and media that we're doing is very important because it's it's educating people on the technology. So when it actually is, is implemented in their building, they're just like, oh, wow, this is fantastic. I, I heard about this, you know, on the EM Weekly Podcast. This is fantastic. So... You know, I thank you for the invitation to participate in this because I think this is doing a, a great service to, to educate folks and get them familiar with this. And most importantly, people that we're, we're having to interface with and, and educate emergency managers at these, at these facilities, they're typically the point of the spear on, on getting this implemented uh, within a facility. So Dr. Lucy Jones, Craig Fugate, Administrator Brock Long, I uh, have all mentioned this system and, and, and how useful it is. And so you're getting, obviously, those top of people to, to really buy into it. Are we having issues with trying to get elected officials or industry leaders to, to buy in? And is, is that a challenge? The answer to that question and more when we return from our break. The modern emergency manager wears a lot of hats. So how do you also fit in the needs of your exercise program? It is a matter of time. And how much is your time worth? A lot. TTX Vault is the answer to getting some of that time back. We offer pre-assembled tabletops, drills, and functional exercises spanning NIMS, hospitals and healthcare, special operations, and more, all coming from the archives of the Blue Cell. 
Get a jumpstart on the exercise process and visit us today at www.ttxvault.com. Emergencies happen. Whether they're related to medical emergencies, threats of physical violence, weather related, or other. One of the most difficult things during an emergency is to find help and quickly and efficiently communicate with all parties, regardless of whether you're an administrator, law enforcement, or the end user. With Titan HST, we help distort time by creating high-tech yet simple-to-use mobile-based applications that connect you with the people who can help you. At Titan HST, we believe in the power of people. Welcome back from that break, and thank you so much for listening to our sponsors. Without them, we couldn't really bring you uh, what we have, so check them out and let them know that you came from EM Weekly. Let's continue the interview. Are we having issues with trying to get elected officials or industry leaders to to buy in? Is is that a challenge? You know, the support is definitely there. You know, we had had some back and forth regarding the federal funding, but, you know, the the representatives, they, they knew the system was there, the support you know, was, you know, they, they rallied behind the earthquake early warning system. And, you know, with the new omnibus bill that was passed, it actually doubled the funding of the shake alert system, which is fantastic. So, you know, the money is now there, you know, the support clearly is there. They were able to pass that, that new funding. So really it's, it's coming down to state and local helping with the education and really getting people familiar with that. There's PSAs and things that are in the works that are going to come out and you know, hopefully billboards and social media campaigns and, and discussions like this that are really going to get people familiar with it. But yeah, that funding challenge, in our opinion, has been tackled and I think really well, right? The funding's been doubled. So we, we can all rest easily knowing that the system's is here to stay. And kind of an, an interesting piece of, of the funding is that a large portion of the initial funding for the ShakeAlert system was private. Uh, it was uh, grant funding from the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation together with Berkeley and Caltech. And that's how the initial proof of concept was built years and years and years ago. And now the feds have stepped up to continue to make sure that the funding's there and the system is maintained. So that's a huge step. Is this something that we need to get into our building code? You know, uh, from a business standpoint, that would be great for early warning labs. From a public safety standpoint, you know, taking off my founder hat and, and going back to my, my uh, first responder hat, I think that is going to be vital to the implementation and, and to make sure that we prevent these injuries. While the costs are affordable and low for our platform, and it makes sense for facilities to implement it, there, there's still a cost associated with it. You know? you know, we're doing everything we can to have the mobile application I'll be free. And that's a commitment that I've made personally, both, you know, to my friends as first responders, to the USGS, to the universities, that we want every single person to have this to the best of our ability, you know, in their hands. But the best way to do that is through the commercial integration. And unfortunately, there's costs associated with that. So, you know, the values there, I think on just to make sure we get wide adoption, get the most penetration as possible, there should be some sort of policy uh, implemented, whether it's through, you know, NFPA or, or local fire codes, building codes, that this be an option, well, rather be a requirement than an option, I think is, is going to be an important step. Well, I mean, it's like anything else. I mean, you know, sprinkler systems for the longest time, you know, after they got required, you know, weren't in anything. I mean, outside of, you know, hotels and, and businesses, and then it got into um, residential just recently, right? So, yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're used to, to moving forward, you know, 
but the hard question here is, is can we, or what's the expense, I should say, on retrofitting current buildings compared to new construction? Yeah, so that, that, that's a great question, Todd. Very, it's a great observation is it with, you know, there's, there's two kind of ways to approach this. You know, if you have a facility that is fairly dangerous in an earthquake, you can look at earthquake early warning as not a replacement to retrofit, but a good bridge to that process. Earthquake early warning integration to a facility is much cheaper than an entire facility retrofit. You know, you're talking hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to retrofit a large facility versus, you know, in the thousands of dollars, right, to be able to do an earthquake early warning system within within a facility. So the, it, you know, it's two different things and they serve kind of two different purposes, right? You know, Lucy Jones, she she would talk about and remind people that the building code is not as much to prevent injuries per se, it is to prevent a total collapse or failure of a building, right? So to prevent death, right, and, and <laughs> crushing. So, you know, reminding people of that and saying, you know, your building, your elevators, your, your, your facades, your internal, you know, drywall equipment, things like that is not really part of the building code. That stuff can crush you and kill you and injure your personnel. You know, the building code, if you're lucky, is just going to prevent your facility from collapsing. So even something built to code, you know, we, we go and we talk with people, they say, oh, this building can withstand a 8.0. I say, well, yeah, prevent it from collapsing, but your occupants still have, have a pretty significant risk. So that's where the earthquake early warning system can be a huge benefit. And putting that into the uh, elevator, how does that work? So a lot of elevators have an existing seismic recall built in. However, that in itself is set up to you shut down the elevator when a dangerous level of shaking is met. So when that counterweight within the elevator starts swinging and banging against the side, the damage is already happening to the elevator. This is just really trying to prevent a, an elevator from plummeting to the bottom, right? That's what they're trying to prevent and then hopefully try to prevent some future damage. We met, met with Otis, right? They're the leader uh, with earthquakes in the world for that. I'm, I'm sorry, leader in, um, in elevators in the world. And you know, they, they looked at this technology. They said, I mean, this is, this is fantastic. You know, integrating this with the elevators you know, could save $10,000, $20,000 per elevator bank in a big earthquake by preventing that elevator from moving when the shaking starts and getting those doors open to prevent those entrapments. So even if a building has seismic recall, that's great, right? That's, that's kind of an analog. We look at this as a 2.0 solution. This is a, a solution that is far beyond that in preventative. So Back to the elevators. So I know that when we had an elevator work done in my building, just to have new carpet put in, we had to have an elevator specialist come in and do it. Couldn't, you couldn't just hire a carpet person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sounds about right. It's a weird rule, all right? And so do you, are you guys working with like elevator installation companies and stuff like this to, to where we could, I could call somebody up tomorrow and say, hey, I want to put this in my, my elevators and in all my buildings? Yeah, you know, we, we've, been, we've been talking and working on some projects with, with the leaders in that space. Uh, that's a slow process, right? There's some, some OSHA approvals that need to be done at, at each facility to do elevator integration. That's an area where, where policy and code could help quite a bit because it is very uh, heavily regulated. So having support in that space is, is very important. And I, I think we're getting quite a bit of that now with, with some of the projects we have connecting to elevators and working with those, those OEMs and service providers uh, and the state agencies for that matter. 
there is similar challenges on the fire alarm side. The reason we like to integrate with fire alarms is because it just it penetrates the facility, right? You have fire alarms in bathrooms and closet. It's all over. There are some uh, NFPA. There's some new language that allows for voice evacuation and, and emergency notification within certain guidelines, and we fall within that. There's a big education piece, you know, of course, with the fire departments and getting them kind of familiar and with the technology. So we're doing that with uh, the cities here and. It's a process, but uh, you know, getting it getting it integrated, I think, is uh, fairly fairly straightforward now. What is your projection on actually rolling this program out? Say nationwide. So in SoCal, we're working with nearly all the leading cities, the private organizations that are that are leaders in the space, whether it's healthcare, entertainment, manufacturing, residential, and having this this technology installed there. And we're, we're getting a critical mass, right? So I think people are going to really see this and we're actually starting to hear stories, right? Where there's a story out there that a resident left a competing condo building and moved into one of our locations where our system was installed because she was deathly afraid of earthquakes. And she said, if I can get up to a minute warning in this building, I'm moving there, right? And I know I'm not going to get stuck in the elevator and burned to death. I know I can get in and out of the, the gates because, you know, early warning labs is automating the, those gates to open so we're not stuck inside. That's huge. And she literally sold her other unit and moved into this, this building. And that's huge, right? I mean, I think that that kind of shows that people really, really appreciate this technology. Right. And getting management, you know, behind it and, and understanding that and, and supportive of it is important. And I think we're starting to see that kind of that start to happen. What can we do as emergency managers and public safety professionals? What can we do to support your organization and support the concept of early warning? Education. You know, I think the core team, the my guess is the majority of the emergency managers are familiar with, with earthquake early warning. They may not be up to speed as far as where it is and that it's actually commercially available now. And that's just from, you know, limited amount of resources, right, from reaching out and, and, and getting those folks to, to understand that. But I think putting together kind of working groups within the organizations, bringing in folks like, you know, early warning labs to come and just educate people on what earthquake early warning is and what the benefits are. And, and you know, if it's not us, you know, talk to Caltech, talk to Berkeley, talk to the USGS to get some education about it and and start looking at, you know, how can this fit into budgetary cycles? How can this be integrated in facilities? Because there's, and just get that dialogue going. Once people are familiar with that, then the process is pretty straightforward. If someone wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do so? Yeah, they can go to our website, earlywarninglabs.com, or they can shoot us a email uh, at info at early warning labs labs.com and that's probably the best way to get a hold of us and we're happy to come out and you know an introduction to uh, earthquake early warning and we can talk about that and educate folks you know we don't we don't go into the, the the system we just talk about kind of what current users are doing and how it can help benefit and protect uh, employees and, and staff we love to do that but of course our website's got a lot of good information and the contact forms on there and there's a, a wait list that people can sign up for the mobile application too so they can get the first access if they sign up on the website and get get on that list and if you guys are driving and don't have a pencil with you don't don't fret we'll have this information down in the show notes as well so uh yeah so just check the show notes, click on the stuff, and, and, and reach out. Okay, so we're coming up to the end here, and I got the uh, toughest question of the day for you. What book or books do you recommend to somebody who's involved in this line of work? That's a great question. You know, there is very limited 
publications out there as far as earthquake early warning goes. There are some really interesting studies and reports actually out there that if people really are, are, are interested in learning more about this, that they can look at that. That would be the earthquake early warning implementation plan by the USGS. They can go to the USGS website and they can just search for that and that'll pop up. It's a PDF. You know, of course, Lucy Jones, you know, she's got some, some great books, the big ones, also a great read, uh, which talk about kind of the, the hazards, not just with, you know, the benefits of earthquake early warning, but she talks, you know, a lot about retrofit and water systems and just resiliency to, to seismic issues in general, which is, which is great. And if people want to get really into the weeds about the, the mobile kind of challenges, there's a, a report. It's an earthquake early warning feasibility study by ATIS, A-T-I-S, which is a organization that's funded by the telcos that they did a big research study on kind of the challenges associated with mobile alerting. So those are, those are some good resources there for, for people to learn more. And of course, our website's got, got some great information. And, and the USGS and university page, shakealert.com, has some, some great resources. Very good. Awesome. Before I let you go, is there anything else you'd like to say to the emergency managers out there? I think importantly uh, that they know now that earthquake early warning is real. It's live. It's available to qualifying organizations. And just bring it up at the next meeting. Yeah, I think that's the best thing they can do and say, hey, who here knows about earthquake early warning? Let's talk about it. All right, Josh. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, it's like to have you here on the show. And I'm uh, looking forward to hearing from you again. Cool, Todd. Appreciate it. You rock. Great podcast and love that you're getting the word out there. Appreciate it. Thank you.